Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this lesson from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from the Scriptures will equip and motivate you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Today I want to try, and it's 11 o'clock, so we're not doing too bad on time here today. I didn't know how, how much time I would have. Uh, but I want to just try to unpack this topic a little bit as we go into Easter. Easter's, I guess for all of us, it's a very exciting time of year, right? When we come together and we celebrate uh, the crucifixion, the resurrection of the Lord, and our entire faith and our entire salvation and everything hinges on that event when Jesus died on the cross, literally died on the cross. Isaiah 53 says that the Lord, God the Father, laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity or the sin of us all. And uh, I'm very thankful for that because without the cross, without the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection, that's the gospel. Without that, we have no hope whatsoever. We cannot live a good enough life to get to heaven. only way we can get there is through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So for the next several Sundays, I just want to kind of unpack a little bit, and I'm not going to go in-depth with a lot of this, and we're not going to dig deep into the Gospel of John, but we're going to hang out in the Gospel of John. And what we're going to be doing there is we're going to be looking at some of the snapshots or some of the portraits of Jesus that we find in the Gospel of John. Now, there's one thing you need to understand about the Gospel of John. It's, it's, it separates itself, if you will, from the other Gospels, from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, it separates itself, and it pretty much stands alone. And the reason being, when John was writing the Gospel of John, he did not write so that he could just give us a uh, historical account of Jesus. He didn't write so he could just tell us, um, you know, in history what this man was doing. He really wrote... So that we would see what Jesus was doing and come to know him and trust in him as our personal Lord and Savior. Matter of fact, before we read the text in John 5, in John chapter 20 and verse number 30 through 31, it says that Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples that are not written in the book. Now think about that. In John chapter 20, verse 30, the scripture says that Jesus performed many other signs. That he did in the presence of his disciples, but they're not written in the book. Matter of fact, scripture goes on to say that if they were all written in the book, there's not enough books in the world that can contain all that Jesus has done and is doing for us, right? So there were a lot of things that he did simply so we would come to know him as our Savior. Then it says in verse 31, but these are written. John is saying, but I've written these accounts in the gospel of John So that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing you may have life in his name. So what's the reason that John wrote the Gospel of John? That we would believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And that believing in Jesus, we would then place our faith in him and we too could be redeemed and we too could be saved. 
So I want to just unpack um, a few portraits of Jesus, if we will, and look a little bit at John's photo gallery, the snapshots of Jesus, and just expose those to you, make you aware of those. Hopefully you can take some of the sermon notes that I've given you. You can go home and study more of this for yourself dig a little bit deeper into the scripture. I just want to wet your palate with some of the snapshots or some of the portraits that we see of Jesus here in the Gospel of John. Now, I'm going to be talking about Jesus, the, um, the great physician, on this particular Sunday. Next week, we're going to talk about the crucified king because that's leading into uh, Easter Sunday. The following Sunday, we'll be talking about Jesus, the resurrected Savior. But then I want to take a couple more Sundays and give you a few more snapshots out of the Gospel of John concerning Jesus. Talk about how he is our comforter. Talk about how he is our encourager. And there's so many different snapshots that John gives us in the Gospel of John. And I want to try to unpack some of these for you here as we move forward. So before we read the scripture in John 5, by the way, take out your Bibles if you bring your traditional Bible. Go ahead and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 5. Most folks probably have the Bible on their uh, smartphone or their tablet or their electronic devices. Go ahead and open those up and turn to the Gospel of John chapter 5 and we'll read that and then we'll get right into the message this morning, okay? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together today. We just pray you lead us through this study as we glean from the Gospel of John and we see these snapshots of who you are and how you work in the hearts and the lives of individuals so that we would believe that you are the Messiah, so that we would believe that you are the Son of God, so that by believing we may have life in the name of Jesus Christ. And that life we're talking about is eternal life, that we would be saved. I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us with your word today, that you would do a work in our hearts and our lives that only you can do. Father, I don't know the needs that each one has brought into this auditorium today, but Lord, you do. And I just pray you meet those needs in the hearts of each and every one of us that are here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to talk to you really about Jesus, the great physician. Okay, And I want to try to unpack a few things here out of John's Gospel, chapter number 5. Look in, your, in the Bible, if you will. I think I'll have the scripture here on the screens for you. It says, after this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the Sheep Gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda in Hebrew, which has five colonnades. And within these lay a large number of sick and blind and lame and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water because an angel would go down into the pool from time to time and stir up the water. Then the first one who got in after the water was stirred up recovered from whatever ailment that he had. And one man was there who had been sick for 38 years. Say that, 38 years. Poke your neighbor on the shoulder right now and say, this man's been sick for 38 years. Here's what I want you to understand. This man had been sick for 38 years. That's longer than Jesus had been on the earth. Because his public ministry started when Jesus was at about the age of 30. Went to about the age of 33 and a half before he died on the cross. So you have about three and a half years of Jesus' public ministry that took place when this is transpiring. And this man had been laying there sick for 38 years. Years longer than Jesus had been walking on the earth literally as the Son of God. He's been a sick man his whole life, right? 38 years we see this guy had been here. And when Jesus saw him lying there, 
he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, look at verse 7. Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone else goes down ahead of me. Can you picture that? Can you picture at the pool of Bethesda these hundreds, if not thousands, of lame and sick folks are gathered there waiting for the stirring of the water? And then it was almost like a competition. The first one that could get there received healing in the water. And this man had been there for 38 years. He'd been sick. He'd been at the pool of Bethesda for a very long time. But he could never get there first. Why? Well... Everybody else wanted to get there, right? It was pretty much every man for himself. A very selfish, self-centered group of people. Not a whole lot of folks helping someone else. Why was that? Because they needed healing themselves, right? And so they were all rushing to get to the pool of Bethesda first into the water so that they could be healed. Sir, the sick man answered, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, someone goes down ahead of me. Listen to verse 8. I find this strange. I find this odd. I think there's a reason for it. Get up, Jesus told the man. Now, how long had the man been laying here? A very long time. How long had he been sick? 38 years, right? He'd been by the pool of Bethesda for a very long time. That's what Jesus said. Scripture tells us he had this infirmity, this sickness for 38 years. And now all of a sudden you have Jesus saying, get up. Well, listen, if this man could have gotten up, he would have gotten into the water, right? But here, because Jesus is there, there is a miraculous command that's taking place and a healing that takes place only because Jesus is on the scene. I'm going to get into that a little bit further into the message, okay? Get up, Jesus told him. Pick up your mat and walk. What's the very next word in verse 9? Instantly. Instantly the man got well. Picked up his mat and started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. I want to talk to you here, and I'm going to fast forward through some of my notes here. But I want to talk to you about Jesus, the great physician, and how it parallels to us. We are in the, if you will, in the condition Or for those of us before we knew Christ, we're in the condition of this sick man that had been laying by the pool of Bethesda. And I want you to see the parallel that's taking place here. Now, you should have your sermon notes. And I'm going to try to hit these kind of quick for you and go through this. And you can study it in more in depth for yourself. But the first thing I want you to see here whenever we talk about this sick man is that his condition was that he is a disabled man. Okay, this man had been sick for 38 years, longer than Jesus had been walking on the face of the earth. He had been sick. He had this illness. He had this infirmity. He was a disabled man. In your sermon notes, I put the application there. The application is this is a picture of a sinner. This is a picture of you. This is a picture of me before we knew Christ Jesus. Right. This is us. We're without hope. We can't get any healing unless Jesus comes by. It's a picture of a sinner. In Isaiah 59 and verse 2, it says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. 
In Romans 3, 23, it says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So what I want you to see whenever we look at this disabled man, that this really is a picture of our spiritual condition before we knew Christ as our Savior. There may be some here today that does not know Christ as your Savior. If you've never entered into a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ, then you are in the condition that this disabled man is in. You are spiritually sick. And there's no way you can bring healing to yourself other than having a relationship with Jesus Christ. So he was a disabled man. The second thing we see is that he was a desperate man. Right? He, ha- he was a desperate man. The fact that he's been laying by the pool of Bethesda for this extremely long time, Scripture says, tells us that he was desperate to get into the water so that he himself could be healed. Now, the sad fact, and here's the application for this one, the sad fact is that there's not a whole lot of people that are desperate about the spiritual condition that they're finding themselves in today, right? You think about the unbelievers. You think about folks that you work with. Think about folks in your community. Think about people that you know, that you know right now, if if the Lord Jesus would come and call and rapture the church to heaven, that those folks would die lost without Jesus Christ. And friends, just let me say this. There is a heaven to gain, and there is a hell to shun. If there was no hell and there is no heaven, then I question why do we even do this on a Sunday morning? The reason we do it because we know there is a heaven. Right? The reason Jesus came to die on the cross was to save us from a sinner's devil's hell, if you will, right? Now, Jesus is far more than just a fire escape, but only through a relationship with Jesus Christ can we enter into heaven. And the sad thing is, there's not a whole lot of people that are desperate about the spiritual condition that they're finding themselves in today. Do you guys, do you realize that the life we live now is just a, a, a grain of sand on the seashore compared to all eternity? Listen to how James puts it in James 4 and 14. He says, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. You know what our life is? I don't know about you, but I love to go to cemeteries and walk through and read the old tombstones, the names and the dates and see when folks were born and when they died. You know what our life consists of? The life that we live, the life that we put so much stock and concern and worry and anxiety in, you know what our life consists of on that tombstone? The dash. Just that little dash. That's it. Born on this date, died on this date. And if you live to be a hundred years old, which we look in our lifetime, we think, man, that's a long time. But if you live to be a hundred years old, it's just a grain of sand on the seashore compared to all eternity. The sad thing is there's not a whole lot of folks that are desperate about the spiritual condition that they find themselves in as an unbeliever, as someone who is not following after Christ. And hopefully that's not any of us. Hopefully we are concerned about our spiritual condition and hopefully we have done something about that. And hopefully we continue to work on that so we can know Christ more. Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection. And that word power is where we get our our English word dynamite. It's the Greek word dunamis. He said, I want to know the power 
of the resurrection. Paul had a desire to know more about Jesus than just to know him as his Savior. And I hope we have that same desire, right? But unfortunately, a lot of folks are are not in a desperate concern about their spiritual condition. Third thing I want you to see about this man's condition is that he was disappointed. Why was he disappointed? Because he could not get into the water, right? Everyone else would beat him there. Look what he says in verse number 7. Sir, the man answered after Jesus talked to him and asked him, he said, I don't have a man to put me into the pool when the water stirred up. I have no hope. I've tried desperately to get there. I've been laying here for an extremely long time. But I cannot get there, and I'm disappointed. The application here is that there's a lot of folks in the world today that are trying to work their way to heaven by trying to be a good person. There's nothing wrong with trying to be a good person. We all should strive to be a good person or good people. But there are people that are trying to get to heaven by trying to be religious, by, by doing all the right things and trying to check all the boxes that they could do themselves. And the sad thing is they're going to come up disappointed because the only way that our, our hopes and dreams can go without being totally annihilated in the end is when we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I keep coming back to that, and that really is the nucleus of this entire message today, right? But a lot of folks are disappointed today in their walk, in their life. There may be people that are sitting in church pews all across America today that are disappointed in their spiritual condition. They're thinking there's got to be more than this. And the reason they're disappointed is because they're putting their hope in their religion They're putting their hope in their faith or in their denomination or in taking communion or in being baptized or simply trying to be a good person. None of that stuff will get you to heaven, folks. I just want you to know the truth. You've got to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've got to believe and know that you are a sinner. We're in a desperate need. We need a Savior. Jesus came to down the cross. He was buried. He rose again. That's what Easter is all about. And when we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus as our Savior, then we can pick up our bed and walk. Then we can have assurance that when we die, we're going to heaven. You see, guys, I don't know about you, and hopefully you're in the same situation that I'm in. When I lay my head on my pillow at night, I don't worry and fret about not waking up. Because I know, I know, I know without a shadow of a doubt that if I were to die, that it is well with my soul. I know that. And if I didn't have this sign of congestion going on right now, I'd probably try to sing a little bit of that for you. I love that song. It's well with my soul. Oh, what comfort that gives me, what peace that gives me, what joy that gives me, what happiness that gives me. Because I know everything is good between me and the Lord. How do I know that? It's not because I'm a pastor. It's not because I'm in church nearly every Sunday of my life. It's not because I try to do all the. It's because I know Jesus. That's it. The same as you. That's it. This was a disappointed man because he could not get to the pool, get into the water. There's a lot of folks that are living their lives disappointed. Now, he was surrounded, if you will, look at the second part of the message, and we can see his companions. And we see the sick man's companions that were all around him. And and there was no comfort, no help he could get from others. Why? Because they were in the very same condition that he was in. 
They were all sick. They were all laying there. They're trying to be the first one into the pool whenever the water would start to churn. So there's really nothing that he could get from his companions. I want to jump quickly to the sympathetic Messiah. I want you to see this. I want you to look at this in verse number 6 of John's Gospel, chapter 5, as we talk about the Messiah. When Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to get well? Man, I love that. Jesus saw this guy and he knew that he was disappointed. He knew that he was unhappy. He knew that he was trying everything in his own power to get there. And Jesus came to him and he came to him three different ways that I want you to see what he showed him about being this sympathetic Messiah, this compassionate Savior that we find. The first thing I want you to see here is, number one, that he is shown choosing this sinner. Now, pay attention to this. Jesus walks up to this man that had been laying there for a long time, Scripture says. For 38 years he had been sick. And Jesus walks up to this, this guy, and when he saw him, he said, Do you want to get well? This is a picture, if you will, of Jesus choosing. You have the multitude of people, but Jesus walks up to this one sick man. Guys, do you realize, for every single one of us, Christ has chosen us. For every single one of us, the Lord Jesus Christ himself has come to us and knocked on the door of our heart and has given us some one-on-one attention, right? The multitudes are lost, but he comes and deals with us individually is what I want you to see. You see, I'm just not a number in Jesus' world. I am John Cannon. He designed me to be me. There is nobody else like me. There is nobody else like you. We all have our own individual DNA. There's nothing else except you. God designed you to be you. He knows who you are. He knows where you've been. He knows what he wants to do in your life. You are somebody to him. That's what I want you to see. Right? I'm just not someone in the multitude. Jesus could have said, all of you guys are well. And just waved his hand. They all could have gotten up. But he came to them individually. He came to this man individually, and he chose him. I don't know about you, but that's encouraging to me. Because I don't go through life wondering, does Jesus even know me? Oh, I know he knows me. How do I know that he knows me? Because John 6 and 44 says he passes by and he knocks on our heart's door. Jeremiah 31, 3 and Matthew eleven twenty eight said he reaches out to us in love and he calls us unto himself. Romans 10, 10 says the sinner responds in faith. When Jesus comes, we respond in faith. He knocks on our heart's door. Revelation, what is it, 3, 20? Behold, I, somebody help me on that quote. That may not be right. It seems like that's not right, but it's, that's what's coming to my brain. So somebody look that up for me. It's Revelation 3.20. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open up his heart's door, I will come in and sup with him and he with me. Aren't you glad that Jesus comes to you? If I got that wrong, somebody tell me. Is it Revelation 3.20? Revelation 3.20, is that right? Awesome, right? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man open his heart door, I'll come in and sup with him and he with me. Aren't you glad that Jesus has chosen you? Aren't you glad? That, you see, in our government system today, we're just a number, right? We're just a social security number. You can't do anything without that number. We're just a number in our world today. No, 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 no. Not in our God's eyes. 
Not in Jesus' eyes are you just a number. He is a sympathetic, compassionate Messiah, Savior that has come to save the world, but he also knows us individually. He has chosen you. I love that. And here we see him choosing this sinner. You know what this is? This is nothing but pure grace. That's all it is. That amazing grace we sang about this morning. That's all it is. Nothing but grace. He's also shown not only choosing but caring for this sinner. Because he realizes he's crippled. He realizes he's unable to stand. He's unable to walk. He knew that this guy was totally dependent upon others for everything. And Jesus reached out to him anyway. What a picture of grace. You see what I think about here? Here Jesus is caring for this man that's been laying by the pool of Bethesda for this very long time, been sick for 38 years, can't even help himself, definitely has nothing that he can help others with. But Jesus cared enough about him to reach out to him anyway. You see, you may be thinking, boy, I just don't have anything to give. Jesus loves you anyway. You may be thinking, boy, I just don't know what gifts I have. I don't even know where I could serve. I don't even know really what I could do. And we may think very low of ourselves. Let me tell you, Jesus doesn't think low of you, right? This man had nothing that he could give back to Jesus. But Jesus cared about him and came to him anyway. Guys, that's really what we've got to do. We've got to empty ourselves completely and just trust in him and let him use us, right? This guy had nothing. He had nothing that he could do. He could not even get up himself. It's really another picture of grace. The third thing I want you to see here about the sympathetic Messiah is that he is shown coming to this sinner. Jesus literally walks up to this man that has been laying there. All those multitude of people. He comes to this guy individually. He chooses him. He cares for him. And we see him coming directly to this poor handicapped, disabled man that's a picture of a sinner. And it's how Jesus has come to us. And he's come to us three different ways here. He's come to us, first of all, as a Savior. He came to us as a sacrifice. And he's come to us as a sovereign Lord. And it's on the screen right here. I want you to see this. Jesus has come to us. He came to us as a sacrifice. A lamb without spot and blemish. Next Sunday, we're going to observe communion. Next Sunday, I'm going to preach on the crucifixion, and we're going to share together in communion before Easter Sunday. But I want you to know all of that is a picture of the supreme sacrifice that God and His Son Jesus gave for you because He loves you, because He loves me. What an amazing sacrifice. He is our Savior. He's the one who has redeemed us. He's the one who has saved us. But don't forget the last part. He is also sovereign. Not only is he a loving, wonderful Savior, but one day he will be your judge. And one day every single one of us will stand before him. The words I want to hear him say is, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear him say. But unfortunately, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7 tells us that he's going to say to some, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. And they're going to say in Matthew 7, you can read this, they're going to say, but Lord, we did all these wonderful things in your name. 
we preached, we prophesied in your name. We did healings in your name. We did all these amazing works in your name. He's going to say, depart from me. I did not know you. Now here was a religious group of people that were going through a lot of religious activity. And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you. I hope and pray that's none of us. God help that to be none of us. That's why you got to know Jesus as your personal Savior. We all know that Billy Graham was a great, great man of God. You go back and you read and see and watch some of the um, documentaries on his life. It's amazing what God did with this little country boy from Western North Carolina. How he used him really to change the world, to spread the gospel. It's amazing how God used him. And with his death and with his passing, and as they were going through, they're giving him respect and, and through his burial and all the news channels were covering all these things about him. And, and they brought Franklin Graham on and and they were talking about how, how Billy always preached this message of love and hope and faith in Jesus. And Franklin said this. He said, yeah, he did. He did preach a message of love. But don't forget, my dad also stood on that same platform and he also preached a message of judgment. But sometimes we don't want to think about that. Our world doesn't want to think about that. You didn't hear them standing up, oh, Billy Graham preached a hell, firestone, a damnation message of judgment. And you go back and you see he preached some of those, right? But the world don't want to think about that. They don't want to think about Jesus as sovereign. They don't want to think about him as a judge. They didn't want to think about Billy preaching that. But he is. You see, this Jesus who died on the cross... He died sacrificially for you. He died because he loves you and he loves me and he wanted to make a way that we could be forever in eternity with God the Father and with him. But also, he's going to be a judge. Right? And we've got to be aware of that. Last thing I want you to see here is that I want you to see this miracle. In this miracle, there's three things I want you to see. And I think I have it on the next slide, if you will, Byron. I want you to see the offer, the order, and the outpour. And you can jot those things down. The offer is Jesus said, get up. Get up and walk. Now he told this man, he'd been laying there for a very long time, 38 years, he had been sick. And Jesus comes to him with this offer and this order. He said, get up and walk and you'll be made whole and you'll be healed. What an amazing offer. You know what this was? That sounded ridiculous in this man's mind, Right? And folks hear the gospel today and they think, boy, there's got to be more to it than that. Really, just childlike faith is all I've got to have? There's got to be more to it than that. Surely there's some things that I've got to do. Surely there's some things that I've got to give. Surely there's some things I've got to partake of in order to be redeemed, in order to be made whole. No, 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 no. You just got to get up and walk to the cross. That's all you got to do. You just got to get up and walk just like this man did. And the Bible says that instantly he was made whole. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that really there's nothing you can do other than have childlike faith and simply just trust and depend on the Lord? The finished work of Calvary. Jesus did everything on the cross. You know, the pictures of, of our cross in in Protestant religion, if you will, the cross is empty. 
Why? Because the sacrifice has been paid in full. There is no additional sacrifices that have to be made. Jesus was the supreme sacrifice. The cross is empty. And the tomb is empty. The sacrifice has been made. The plan of salvation is accomplished. It's done in full. All we have to do now is be benefactors of it and simply just admit that we're a sinner and trust in the supreme sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross and repent of our sins and believe in him. And we too can be saved. That's it. That's it. Right? Now, what we do from the cross is we do good works from the cross, but we don't do good works to get to the cross. Right? We simply just realize I'm a sinner. This is every one of us, myself included. The Apostle Paul said, I'm the chief of all sinners. That we're just a sinner. And all we're going to do is come to the cross and trust in Jesus as our Savior. My question to you is, have you done that? As we go into this Easter season, you guys can come on back, Tyler, Deb. As we go into this Easter season, have you done that? Have you allowed the great physician to heal your soul? Because that's what we need healing of more than anything. Guys, you realize the physical ailments that we have in this life, that's really just kind of part of living. And I realize there's some folks that are disabled in our life, in our world today. You know, I think about Brother Bob, and he's not here today, but he was out there stuffing eggs yesterday, and he went out to eat with us yesterday and celebrate Jamie's birthday. Happy birthday today or yesterday? Yesterday. Went out to eat with us and do that. And, and every time I'm with Bob, and you guys are the same way here at the church. We always try to help him put his wheelchair in the back of his truck and button up his truck and pull things. Do you realize that's the hardest thing in the world to do with that guy? Because he doesn't see himself as a disabled guy. He really doesn't. And he'll just, I'm like, Bob, let me help you. Oh, I've, I've got this. Bob, let me help you. I'm here to help you. I've got this. I told him yesterday, I said, Bob, you are the most independent man I know. Will you stop and let me help you? <laughs> fussing at him a little bit but you know I was thinking about this the physical ailments that we have in this life when we see Jesus face to face because we have met him at the cross and trusted him as our savior when we get into heaven there's going to be no wheelchairs there's going to be no canes and Bob has his cane in his wheelchair and he hobbles around and puts that wheelchair in the back of his truck and he told me yesterday, he said, I've started shrinking. I can't reach the cab of my the camper lid of my tr truck anymore. And so he, he reaches the cane up there and he pulls that thing down and buttons up his wheelchair and then takes his cane and gets back in. Do you realize I was thinking this morning, one day Bob's not going to need a wheelchair. One day Bob's not going to need a cane. The physical ailments that we have in this life, they're just temporary. The most important thing we need healing on is our soul. Not necessarily our body. The body's going to be healed immediately when we see Jesus, right? The main thing we need to focus on is the healing of our soul. Is everything well between you and the Lord? I hope it is. Yeah, I think about Jeb sitting there. I see Nancy. 
There's going to be no disabilities in heaven, right? I love that. We're going to be made whole. But our souls are sick. We're born that way. We must be reborn. There must be a rebirth that takes place. So, as we, and we like to have fun around here, and I love to have fun and laugh and carry on with our church family as much as anybody. And I love the Easter egg hunt for our kids, and that's kind of one of my babies in in my ministry that I want to do. And I try to have a massive egg hunt and make it a big day and make it exciting. I know there's a lot of work that goes into it, but it's worth it for our kids. I want our kids to have fun. I love that. But God's the most important thing is that our souls have been healed by the great physician that we know without a shadow of a doubt that we have trusted in the finished work of Calvary that we have come to the foot of the cross and we have, we have allowed the great physician to make us spiritually whole by being born again so my question to you is has Jesus healed your soul is everything well with you and the Lord if it isn't now's the time to do that If you need to rededicate or recommit your life, now's the time to do that. If you need to trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, now's the time to do that. Don't wait till Easter Sunday. Do it right now. We're going to have communion next week. Do it right now. And then we'll come in here and we'll celebrate with communion next week. Okay? Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you, Lord, for each one that's here today. Thank you so much for the gospel message. Without the gospel, without this amazing gospel message, we are so lost. We are of all men most miserable. Father, we just pray if there's one here today that, that you have fingered around in their heart and you have made them aware that Either one, they need to just repent of their sins and trust you as their Savior today. Or maybe they need to recommit and rededicate their life to you and get a spiritual renewal in their heart and in their life. Father, whatever the spiritual need is today, we lay them before you, the great physician. And our prayer is that you would meet that spiritual need in our hearts and in our lives. Father, have your will and way. Right now, we call on you. Save us from ourselves. Save us from our sin. Redeem us. We ask for your forgiveness. We plead for your amazing grace. We believe you're the Son of God who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross for the sins of the entire world who was laid in a tomb and came out victoriously after three days and now has ascended to the right hand of God the Father where there you're making intercession for us now you've sent the Holy Spirit of God to do your bidding and your work in our hearts and in our lives Father thank you for the amazing plan of salvation Jesus' name we pray.
Well, thank you for joining us for this lesson from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with, or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360, or you can email us at victoryfwb at gmail.com. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email, call, or send a request to 223 Scott Troy Road, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us. Thank you.